the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I've taken as a text the uh, last part of that reading we had today, 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, uh, verse 23. I have become everything in turn to people of every sort, so that in one way or another, I may save some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Well, first of all, a confession. I have to say, I'm not very comfortable being told what to preach about. <laughs> um, I've always felt that I must wait upon the Lord and be led by him and not by some lectionary or study series. When I came to Linfield 19 years ago, Norman Smith said he would invite me to preach from time to time uh, and allow me to uh, uh, share some themes and texts arising from uh, the wider United Reformed Church and my experience in the wider world church. And I was very happy with that arrangement. Uh, however, times and personnel change and I'm a man under discipline, you understand. Uh, so when Keith asked me to lead worship today and John Merritt sent me the set passage, this one from 1 Corinthians 9, I dutifully looked it up and it rang some bells. As with all good sermons, there are three things I want to draw out of it. First, being worthy of your hire, your wages. Presuming that those uh, before me in recent weeks have been faithfully going through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, you will know that he had been upbraiding them about some of the challenges of the Christian life. Food offered to idols sexual deviation, lawsuits amongst the faithful. But it looks as if some of them had been questioning his credentials uh, as an apostle, partly at least because he hadn't accepted their largesse. He wasn't on their payroll, so he wasn't beholden to them as they might have liked. Well, he immediately comes back to them and says, has he not seen the Lord? His Damas domestic, uh, road, uh, Damascus Road um, experience brings him up alongside the other apostles in, in personal encounter with Jesus. And that was a, a sort of fundamental tenet of being an apostle. And are they not themselves, the church at Corinth, ample evidence of his apostleship, despite their inadequacies and falling from grace? Well, then he launches on an interesting digression about the rights of the preacher. 
listen to this bit. One of the few things which has upset me about church meetings and councils I attend from time to time over the years has been when well-meaning members have complained about the, con the congregation's contribution to the Assembly's Ministry and Mission Fund. The vast bulk of this, of course, is invested in the training and the support and paying of the diminishing pool of uh, ministers of word and sacrament who faithfully serve our churches. Um, as a synod moderator through the 1980s, I used to go around visiting those who had dedicated their lives to preaching the gospel and pastoring the faithful, usually for an income greatly inferior to that which they could have earned in secular employment with their skills and qualifications. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? So demands Paul. When Jesus was commissioning the 72 evangelists, you remember that passage from Luke chapter 10, uh, he told them when they move into a town, if there is a man of peace there, your peace rest will rest on him. Stay in his house, sharing their food and drink, for the worker deserves his pay. Paul, and indeed here Jesus himself, are making it quite clear that the church must support those who come amongst them to proclaim the gospel. Now, I don't think, indeed, I sincerely trust that the good folk of Lindfield URC do not get mixed up in the sort of waywardness the Corinthians seem to have indulged in. But we still have a duty to support our minister and the wider witness of the church to which we belong. Okay, second theme or point arising from this passage. Woe to me! if I don't preach the gospel. Having made his point um, about preachers being worthy of their hire, Paul abruptly changes tack. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? But I have not used any of these rites, he says. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's a privilege. It's a duty. And it has a great reward. As a trustee of the URC centrally, I'm aware of the skirmishes which Church House has with Her Majesty's customs and excise. You see, 
a local minister, a local church minister, is technically an office holder and not an employee. I don't know if they all know that, but uh, uh, that's true. They receive a advance, of course, and a stipend, a modest sum to enable them to feed the family and undertake the responsibilities of their office. It is not a salary, which by definition is remuneration or reward for work done. And Her Majesty's Customs and Excise find that a little difficult as a concept. So why, having fought for the principle, will Paul not take his pay? Well, I guess he didn't want to, to burden the members, who were probably not amongst the most wealthy Corinthians. He wanted to avoid any, any scandal. He certainly didn't want to be accused of lining his pocket at their expense. As he puts it, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. He's filling his commission for its own sake. Woe to me, he says, if I don't preach the gospel. Okay, point three. All things to all people. I think I've probably over 19 years told you before uh, how halfway through my time as moderator, we had a sort of review day to look at the priorities of the, of the Synod. And they were kind enough to say that they, they thought, as moderator, uh, that I held together the widely divergent views expressed fairly well. The sting was in the tail. In fact, we don't know where you stand yourself. Well, I, I had a good uh, chuckle about that. In a way, that is no bad thing, as Paul put it. I have become everything in turn to people of every sort, so that in one way or another, I may save some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, to bear my part in its proclamation. Well, a moderator's role was, I suppose, to support and care for the ministers and the churches, no matter what their views, to try and bring harmony and reconciliation where there was division. In fact, I think that's every minister's role within their congregation. And if ministry is so way out that it estranges people from the Lord and from his church, what price? Ministry. Earlier this year, I wrote a little piece in Good News about our visit to Adelaide, where we attended church with our uh, younger granddaughter, Isabel, on a couple of occasions whilst we were there. And first we went to the Uniting Church, that's the URC's um, sister church down under. 
uh, the style of worship uh, is very much like ours. The, the sort of songs, the words, the hymns, uh, the biblically based sermon, and so on. All a bit traditional, good congregation. But Isabel, I think, was the youngest, was the, uh, youngest there by about 40 years. <laughs> now, the next Sunday, she took us to her church, the Edge Church. There were probably a thousand people there, and it was the second service of the morning. All ages, shapes, and sizes, if you know what I mean. We started by singing for some 20 minutes, led by a large group and five solo singers, in one continuous and rather emotive song, repeating virtually the words, God is great, over and over again. We then had a reading, and the word was preached for 45 minutes. Don't worry. Uh, then, finally, much more singing, interspersed with program announcements from the pastor. I was a little surprised how little prayer there was actually in the service. Now, it wasn't the diet of worship that I would feel spiritually fulfilling each week. There's no doubt it was an uplifting experience. There was an atmosphere, a, a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it took me back to some of the campaign extravagances of Billy Graham and Tom Rees of my youth. But it set me thinking, what was it that attracted so many very different worshippers to flock together in a country which seems very much more secular even than the UK. Whilst the URC and I gather the Uniting Church of Australia suffer diminishing numbers and influence. A month ago I was in um, Southport for the Biennial General Assembly of the, of the URC. On the whole it was a happy, a positive gathering seeking to discern what the Spirit is saying to our church at a time when all the mainline churches seem to be up against it in a secular, materialistic world of clashing cultures and religions. Bishop Angelios of the Coptic Orthodox Church addressed us. He was a guest speaker saying the infant Christ and the Holy Family were refugees. We must be able to look for the face of Christ in every refugee. And he rang a bell with me when he said, together, whatever our differences, we are the church. And there is only one body of Christ. Now, I, I've been reflecting on that. Uh, when I worked in, in Geneva for the World Council of Churches, I remember sitting in the executive committee there with 
some quite extraordinary people, a wide array of bishops and church leaders from all around the world. I remember there was the, the Coptic Pope Shenouda, he, called, he was called. There was Metropolitan Bartholomew, who is now the senior ecumenical patriarch of all the Eastern Orthodox churches. There was Metropolitan Kirill with his um, KGB escort, uh, who became patriarch of the mighty Russian Orthodox Church. There were lots of others of contrasting cultures and traditions but joined together to work for that unity Christ desires for his church. We are the body of Christ, all of us, in our myriad of differing ways, like different limbs, organs. We all have distinctive functions and roles. But together, we constitute a living organism, fulfilling the call of him who is the head. I would say, if he had meant us all to be the same, he'd have made us that way. The URC theme launched at assembly is walking the way living the life of Jesus today. And this underlay a lot of the planning, forward planning, which the church was doing at assembly. It's easy if we are narrow and parochial to get a bit down about the problems of the world around us, and there are plenty of those. And the apparent inadequacy of the church really to make a difference. But take heart. We are part of, of an enormous, varied, dynamic family who all in our, our very different ways seeking to respond, like Paul, to the call to be all things to all people to become everything in turn to people of every sort so that in one way or another we may save some. All this we do for the sake of the gospel to bear our part in its proclamation. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.